the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Let me ask the question perhaps that has been asked through the ages, maybe one you've even asked for yourself. Who is God? And does God intervene in the affairs of man? You know, what's interesting. Scripture tells us that the Lord is so concerned about our well-being that he in an example, not only cares for the lilies of the field and the birds of the air, but even has the very hairs on our head counted, which admittedly for some of us, that job is getting (laughs) easier and easier, but demonstrative of the notion that yes, very much so, God intervenes and cares about the affairs of mankind. And I think sometimes we, we confuse adversity or the challenges of life in a fallen world with God not caring. Let's get some perspective on this broader topic as we're joined today by Dr. Pastor Keith Crosby, Senior Pastor at Hillside Church in San Jose. He has pastored there since 2016. He's got a long background in church ministry. Prior to coming to uh, Hillside, he served in pastoral ministry at a number of churches over the course of some 20 years and um, has a fairly interesting educational background with a BA in political science and an MDiv and, of course, his uh, doctorate in ministry degrees from the Master Seminary. And Pastor Crosby, great to see you. Good to have you with us. Greg, it's always a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Let's talk a bit about this this question. I mean, it seems to be so fundamental to the faith and and maybe, if anything, in, in recent generations, part of that question has changed, meaning that for so long it was a question of, does God care? Sometimes today we see growing numbers in a increasingly secular population, a population that on an increasing basis is unchurched, that even questions, does God, meaning does he even exist? Sure. So with that foundation, and there's been a number of life experiences that you've been through down through the years, and even more recently in your family and in your ministry, I think demonstrative, as we were visiting briefly before we came on the air today, demonstrative of the notion that yes, indeed, God does care and he does intervene. But to those who say, you know what, Craig, Pastor Crosby, if you knew what I was going through, you would equally have the conclusion that God just must not care. Well, you know, Craig, as we talked about beforehand, you yourself are a cancer survivor, you know, and uh, with my daughter's accident uh, seven years ago and uh, with my own illness, God allows trials. You know, we live in a fallen world. And somebody once said to me, well, how do I know that God cares? Because the symptoms that we see around us, suffering and sickness and sadness, are the result of our sin, the sin of mankind, the sin of Adam and Eve, Romans 5.12, sin entered the world through one man and then spread to all because all sinned. We're like, these symptoms point us to God because we see that we cannot depend on ourselves. And so the hard, hardship of the world, which is kind of self-inflicted by mankind, 
God gives us warnings. Just like if a man or a woman has chest pain, they know they have angina. If they didn't have those symptoms, they wouldn't seek medical care. And if we didn't have the symptoms of sin in this world, we wouldn't seek divine care. And and so we, we know that God is, because in Psalm 19 it says, everywhere we look, the heavens are declaring the presence of God, the reality of God, and day-to-day pours forth speech. And we have his word that reveals the mind of God to us. God has not left us without a witness, and he reminds us constantly that he's there and that he cares. And his word is this love letter from another world to help us make sense of our existence. So, yes, life is hard. We we make bad decisions as the human race. Yes, there are consequences, but there's also redemption. There's also salvation. Uh, God sent his son to rescue us, to redeem us. And the Bible probably, in my mind, is one of the most significant reminders that he's there because it has something to say about every inch of thread that makes up the fabric of our existence. Everybody can have one, everybody can read one, and everybody can respond to one, and there's no other book like it in the world. So I, I think that evidence of God's existence is, in, is, is a natural revelation to the world around us and the order that's there and the beauty that's there, and the special revelation of his word, and then the results of our sin all point us to God. It's part of it then perhaps um, unrealistic expectations and i say that from a uniquely shall we say uh, um, fallen nature perspective in that we would rather not suffer not go through pain we would rather everything fall in our direction just as we want it and so when things don't go according to our plan we then begin to question god's existence maybe the confusion being that we think somehow god ought to bring us around trial, around pain, around tribulation, as opposed to taking us through it. So Mm -hmm. we take maybe, and falsely so, tribulation and trial in life is a sign of God not being there. And I would suggest perhaps that the problem is, well, that's because we're not looking for him because Mm -hmm. we're expecting him to show up in a different way. We think that God only shows up when nothing happens as opposed to saying, and when I'm going through the trial, when I'm going through this painful moment in my life, look at the ways in which God showed his grace to help bring me through those trials. Well, and that's it. You know, I mean, what we forget is that God takes people like you and me through the trial. He equips us for greater service. And through our trial, he also benefits other people through, God willing, our example, as we trust in him. And there's a saying, which I shared with you earlier, abide in Christ, keep his word, let him do the heavy lifting. He'll be there. He'll sustain you through the trial. He'll display his glory through you, through the trial, which is our high calling and privilege that we have, and he'll grow you through the trial. Trials are like spiritual exercise. They exercise your spiritual muscles to equip you to serve God in greater and greater ways, which is a really high calling. Uh, It's no fun, but when you work out, it's not necessarily fun. There's pain, no pain, no gain, that kind of thing. And I think sometimes we think we're God, and we forget that You know, even in the trial, God always answers our prayers. There are three answers to prayer, yes, no, and wait. But we always want the yes answer. I mean, I do. I don't know about you. I mean, I'm a frail human being, and, you know, I've been sick now for two years. Uh, 
I'd like to have it over with, but I know that God is good. I know his character. I know that he loves me. I know what his word says. And it helps me make sense of my existence and make sense of the trial. It helps get me through the trial and stand in the background and let God be God. I'm curious, in your own experience and what your family has been through, and uh, one of your daughters, you alluded to this at the beginning of our conversation today, one of your daughters, Grace, went through a, a pretty severe accident uh, about a half a dozen years ago. And, and I'm just wondering, as you look through what she has gone through, what you yourself have gone through in terms of health challenges, have these moments had the end result of drawing you closer to him? They have. They really have. And because what you realize is this life and the stuff that we have, uh, we often take for granted, and it's temporal. I mean, as you know, my daughter was an accomplished violinist. She's run over by a car. She has two strokes. She has traumatic brain injury and things like that. She loses the ability to play the violin. She has to make a comeback. And, you know, God provides for our needs and sh- and. We asked her once, as, as we talked about, you asked your, you know, your mom said this too. She said she wouldn't change a thing because the trial brought her closer to God. When she was stripped of everything that she once held dear, it's just you and God, and you have a chance to depend on him in ways that you normally would not choose. And I would say it's the same with my own illness. Um, God does show up. You know, uh, he. You don't always hear his voice every day, but you you know that he's there. We know, you know, our feelings will deceive us, but we know from his word how he is and who he is, and he never fails to show up. He just doesn't always show up in the way that I would like to dictate. But I'm not God, and you know, it it is a glorious experience. I can say that. Now, not every day is a great day, but every day is a glorious day, and that. I get to depend on God in ways, and, and my daughter Grace does, in ways we would never imagine. And it's, it's, it, it's glorious. You know, God is faithful. Uh, he gives you what you need when you need it. And he, he's never late. He's never early. He's always right on time because he's perfect. Does this also help to hone these trials and tribulations? And there are many eavesdropping on our conversation here uh, today, Pastor Crosby, that are saying, oh, but oh, if you only knew what I'm going through right now. But I have to wonder, in in these moments of trials and tribulations, does it help increase your eternal perspective on things? Because we tend to be so instantaneous in society today. You touched on it a moment ago. You know, we want what we can want from God as we want it, when we want it. <clears throat> the image of the man standing in front of the microwave waiting for the water to get hot for coffee saying, boil, 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 because they can't wait a minute. And yeah. so it's indicative, I think, of not only our our culture and society today, but indicative of our perspective from a fleshy, fallen condition. So I wonder, when we go through these trials and tribulations, does it help hone one's ability to understand a bit more about the eternal nature of not just who God is, but even our own existence? I think it does. You know, in James chapter 1, it says, count it all joy. Not It isn't joyful, but count it all joy when you encounter various and sundry trials Knowing, that word know there, it was knowing with certainty that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfecting work, leaving you adequate and complete, lacking in nothing. That sounds like a process, not an event. 
There's no microwave there. It is the testing of your faith over time. And then it's there to build up your faith so that you'll be adequate and complete to live in this world. And then it goes on to say, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously without reproach. These trials do things for you that you could not do for yourself and would not do for yourself. And they take place over time. My daughter's six years in recovery, me, two years and my thing. And you do uh, develop an eternal perspective. And it, you know, it gives me empathy for people, too. I mean, I've been in many hospitals and many ERs with people, and I can sympathize with them now and empathize with them. No one knows what each person is going through, but what we all have in common is we're going through a trial. None of us are special. We'd like to believe we are, but we're not because God's Word shows us these principles apply to all people, and God has gifted us with suffering, a trial, to display his glory to other people, to find ways to trust in him the way that we haven't trusted before, and to strengthen our faith in ways we could not or would not have imagined. And I wonder, too, if that also lends to, from a broader perspective, you know, I think, for example, about the notion of, of light versus darkness. Hmm. I think we, we, we appreciate the light when we've experienced darkness. Imagine walking into a house. You've come home after an evening with your spouse and you come into the home and it's all dark and you're stumbling about trying to find a light switch and maybe in the process you kick the dog and knock a lamp over. Finally, you find the switch and you turn on the light and ah, it brings a sense of relief. Mm-hmm. The joy that the light brings is a joy, I think, that is there because we have experienced darkness. Let me take it even a step further and then I just run with this. We think about God's grace. We think about God's mercy. We think about the promise of eternity in heaven when we are in Christ. And yet, I would wonder if all of that would ring terribly hollow if there was not juxtaposed to God's grace, also God's Judgment. I mean, we think heaven is great because promises of mansions and streets paved with gold, and that all sounds wonderful. But it really takes on significance when we think about the alternative of eternal damnation absent from God because we fall under his judgment. And so I think sometimes maybe we, we miss the point. We, we look at God's judgment and think this is a terrible, woeful thing. But in fact, absent God's judgment, it, it would, it would it completely, I think, cheapen, if not just nullify, God's grace. Yes, I, I totally agree. You know, it says the wages of sin is death, Romans six twenty three. but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. We forget the human race. Are, is in rebellion. We are insurgents by nature, by nature, as it says in Ephesians, children of wrath. But God, who is rich in mercy and grace, with the love with which he loved us, made us alive in Christ. Well, I mean, we deserve the conscious, unending, full-throated wrath of God poured out on us for all eternity because we have sinned against a holy God. And by God's grace, some of us are saved. That is a gift. And... uh you know, it's there's the old saying, I think it was Ray Comfort, you have to get them lost before you can get them saved. And so you have the law, the Ten Commandments, which all of us violate. None of us can live up to, you know, the Jewish law with 619 commandments that nobody could fulfill because we're sinners. And God and his mercy 
grants us forgiveness. If we will turn to him, if we will trust, all we have to do is trust him. No works in our part. But yes, the consequences of our choices, sin, is death. Because we deserve the wrath of God by violating his commandments, by even rejecting his son who died for our sin and persisting in sin. But by God's grace, heaven is made available to us through Jesus Christ. And that's where you really appreciate his goodness and mercy, because most of us would not do for him if we were in that situation, what he's done for us through his son. And I think you're 100 percent right, Craig. Uh, Without without the wrath, we wouldn't appreciate the grace. With us today is Pastor Dr. Keith Crosby from Hillside Church of San Jose. We'll take a brief time out, come back to more of our conversation in just a moment. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back. We're visiting today with Pastor Dr. Keith Crosby, Senior Pastor of Hillside Church of San Jose. Pastor Crosby, let's pick up the conversation where we left off just a moment ago. And and I think the grace goes even a step farther because if we think about where we are biblically, historically, in our relationship with God and the rebellious spirit that has been handed down through Adamic sin that is inherent to all of our our sort of baseline nature. I think it's one thing for God to say, you've proven you can't keep my law, so I'm going to come up with a new covenant between mankind, and this one is going to shift the onus of that, 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 that payment for sin from your shoulders, from a sacrificial standpoint, to now the very shoulders of my only begotten son. He's going to pay the price on your behalf because I love you so much and I recognize you're incapable of keeping my law. So I've got a plan B because I so much want to be in fellowship, in relationship with you, my creation. But the interesting thing, the amazing thing, Pastor Crosby, is he doesn't stop there. He doesn't just say... And through, therefore, the work of my son on the cross, you accept that work, you confess, you surrender, you will then be spared the penalty of eternal damnation. But he could have said, and therefore, I'm going to leave you with a life on earth, kind of in the middle zone. That'll just be it. But no, instead, he says, you're going to go on to an eternal reward. I think, wait a minute. The reward that I was really due was in eternal hell. Mm-hmm. You're not just sparing me from that penalty, but then you're going to put robes on me. I'm going to be, as a member of the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, and there's going to be a, a, a heavenly reward for all of eternity. I mean, if that doesn't demonstrate God's love, when you think about that swing from one end of the continuum to the other of just how much he loves us. If that doesn't blow your mind, then I I, I don't know what does. <laughs> you know, that's a great that's a that's a great observation. Somebody once said that there are only two religions in the world. When you look at it, there's a religion of human achievement, which is all the works based religions, whether it's Hinduism, Islam, Judaism, Mormonism, whatever it is. And there is a religion of divine achievement what God has done for you. There's this whole works-based thing, which we can't do, which was where you get God or the gods or the universe off your back by doing all these things to curry favor. And that's religion of human achievement, which is a false religion, or there's a religion of divine achievement, which is what Christ has done for us, what we could not and would not do for ourselves, you know? And I'm just thankful that we serve the true God, the real God, who has revealed himself in such a way that, 
we can understand him through his word and serve him with the life that he's given us now. I'm so thankful for what Christ has done, the religion of divine achievement. I'm just, and that's what, that is a gift indeed. You know, eternal life, this life is short, eternity is long, and we know we know where we'll end up if we trust in him. And the exciting thing is that this does not have to be something of sort of the uh, in never never neverland someday right. when my time on earth is done in 60, 80, wh- however many years we're granted, that we have to therefore wait until that time to experience God's grace. But rather, as we were touching on at the start of our conversation today, the ability in, in little bite-sized chunks to experience God's grace all along the way, all along the journey. And when we have those moments, kind of that, that, that taste of the divine, so to speak, uh, if, if, we're, if we're in a, in a frame of mind and heart and spirit to really fully begin to, to try to understand and absorb the totality of that grace shown towards us in those little bite-sized chunks along the way, I think it just gives us a little tiny miniature glimpse of what heaven might possibly be when you think about being overwhelmed by grace at every moment of every day for all of eternity in his presence. Now, boy, if that doesn't set you back on your heels, I don't know what will. (laughs) Well, yeah, and we get glimpses of that, you know, in Revelation where there are the 24 elders around the throne saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, and you just you have the wedding supper of the Lamb, and you have all these things to look forward to, things that we can't even begin to imagine, better than the best that we can dream up. You know, we have this, these glimpses, you know, and I can't wait to see it. You know, uh, you know, one of the, I think infirmity and age and all those kind of things, you know, uh, wean us off of our love for this world because we are not of this world; we are exiles just passing through. And, you know, that, and that's one of the things I think every church, you know, Hillside Church, for example, uh, there's just um, every church is a glimpse of heaven where all these people from every tongue, tribe, people and nation come together to worship God and the beauty of his holiness on a Sunday morning, you know, and to, and to find answers to life's questions. You know, that's the reason we preach expositionally is that we unpack God's word. So that people, and we have lots of young families coming, can understand that there are answers to questions for raising kids or facing death or making career choices. The church is a glimpse of that heaven and, and, and the answers that we'll have when we get there. And I think, I think it's just something to really look forward to, but also to experience every Sunday, you know, and when we come together to worship. And I think, I think it's, it's a great thing. In a broader sense, is that a message in your observation, Dr. Crosby? And I ask this because you're you're right in the middle of Silicon Valley mm. and, you know, kind of ground zero for technology. And now we're seeing emerging new technologies like AI that has everybody back on their heels with with concerns and fears that this is as wonderful as it is frightening and so on and so forth. And I have to wonder if the, the, that that message of hope is one that maybe the church, in the broader sense, is the body of Christ, needs to to hone and do a better job at communicating. And I, I pose that question because in recent years, there has been more of a glass half empty approach Mm. there has been much emphasis on the erosion of morality 
and uh, what we see taking place culturally, uh, certainly in our own nation, if not in, in the entirety of the West, a drawing away from God. And so there's a lot of fear and thought we need to get in there and do something and change. And you see people are very angry out there. And it's a mentality or a modality of wanting to protest. And we're going to hold these people accountable. And, you know, not not to turn political here, but as much as I think the the notion of wanting to, quote unquote, make America great again mm-hmm. is a message that resonates, I think, with most Americans. I wonder if maybe it is misplaced in the sense that, you know, I go back to de Tocqueville, his observation in coming to America from France and writing about this amazing experiment called democracy. What impressed him the most was not the great orators in the state house or the splendor of the Capitol Dome, and actually not built yet, but, you know, the splendor of Washington, D.C., but instead, rather, what impressed him so much was the fire of America's pulpits. And I wonder, again, a message specifically for the church that our greatness is not in our politics. Our greatness is in our relationship with who God is and how we serve him. Maybe maybe the bigger the bigger calling ought to be here and again i apologize if it appears i'm 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 meddling in areas where you know polite conversation should not take place but i wonder if maybe the real thing that needs to be for front center for the church the body of believers in america today is not emphasis on making america great again but rather making america godly again i i think you've you've hit on it craig there's only one messiah and it's not Joe Biden, and it's certainly not Donald Trump. Uh, it's Jesus Christ. And, and what the churches have done, and you see it, and they mean well a lot of times. This is something that we try to studiously avoid, and nobody's perfect. There are churches whose politics determine their theology and what they preach on Sunday. And you know what? Every Sunday is a political sermon. And they have failed in their mission. And that's true, by the way, on, on both sides of the continuum. No matter where you fall within the, the, the wider breadth of, of mainline Christianity, evangelical Christianity, yeah. I think that is a truism on both extremes of the it, continuum. It is. It is. And we're, we're, you know, I don't find America in the Bible, right? I mean, we don't. We're not a covenant nation. We're not Israel. We are human beings. And our goal as a church is to equip the saints to do the works of ministry to fulfill the Great Commission. And the way that we do that is not a TED Talk with Bible verses or a pep talk or a political speech. It's to preach the word in season and out of season, rebuking, exhorting with, and, and with, with great patience and instruction. Whether people want to hear the message or not, and what has happened is it's almost like the condition of the world has turned our heads away from the word of God to some political agenda, left or right or center or whatever. But the reality is, is it's about God. And everything that's going on right now was is predicted in the Bible, whether you look in Revelation, whether you look in the book of Daniel, Zechariah, the minor prophets. This is what the Bible told us would happen. And in a way, as people fall away, what we're seeing is a separation of the wheat and the tares whether there are churches that have uh, rejected the Bible in, in, in favor of some social gospel or some woke thing, and we want to teach the biblical thing. We're not 
left or right or center, we're biblical. And God has called pastors, preachers, churches, elders, Christians to be the light shining in the darkness. And when we, when we, uh, what does it say in Timothy, no soldier gets entangled in worldly entanglements. Otherwise, he can't serve the one who enlisted him. When we start getting wrapped up in the world, we lose our mission, and we don't stand out for Christ. We blend in with the culture. And so I think the falling away of some churches is good because God is weaning them out, and we are hopefully standing out, those who preach the Bible uh, and the gospel. You know, and and to that point, uh, Dr. Crosby, I think it's important that we be mindful as we look at many of the things that ail our nation today at, at many levels. And I know a lot of believers say, oh, the policies, the policies are so far skewed. But the policies aren't the problem. The policies are the evidence of the deeper problem, the true problem, the problem at the core that comes right out of Scripture from day number one in the Garden of Eden to the cross to where we sit today. The problem in our nation today is sin. And if we fail to address that, if we if we want to sort of, well... People get offended if we start to talk about sin and salvation and sanctification. Well, of course they get offended. The Bible itself says the message of the gospel is an offense to those that are perishing. So to to try and water down the core message of that righteous God that we talked about earlier... And to try and sort of, uh, as I'll call it, whispering or, or whistling past the cemetery to pretend as if, well, if we just kind of keep a low key, nobody's going to be offended and we'll, we'll try to encourage people to do the right thing. None of us have the capacity of doing the right thing absent the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. I mean, that's just, just scriptural. 100% right, Craig. You know, so, it sounds weird, but I preached a sermon once where I said the gospel stinks. And, and what that meant was it was First Corinthians, right, where, you know, we're the aroma of life to those who are being saved, but the stench of death to those who are perishing. When you walk into a church, it should smell differently than the world. And depending on what the Spirit is doing in your heart and where you stand in relation to God, it's going to be the breath of life or it's going to be the stench of death. But here's the deal. It, there's no middle ground there. And so people are either going to like it or hate it. And when we talk about sin, salvation, sanctification, that reminds people that there's something wrong with the world and, and something wrong with them. There's always something wrong with all of us. And God is sanctifying us and polishing us. But there are those who are, who are going to reject Christ. And when they hear the gospel, it separates families, right? Fathers against mothers, mothers against fathers, daughters, sons. Jesus said this would happen. And therefore, we have to be faithful to preach that and let God be God, let God do what he's going to do. And if we suffer the consequences of persecution, that's fine. That's what we're called to do. And, you know, these policies are made by people, and and sinful people make sinful policies. It's all in the Bible. None of this should surprise us. You know, he says in 1 Peter, don't be surprised at the fiery trial that's come upon you. We should expect this. At the same time, we should we should we should preach the word we should speak the word we should speak the truth in love but speak the truth nonetheless and i think believers also and I think also believers need to be mindful of which kingdom they belong to. You know, recently all of the, the pomp and circumstance coming from across the pond with the uh, the coronation of, uh, of King Charles, uh, all fine and good, but that's an earthly kingdom. And, and right. sometimes even we here in America, from a, a Christian perspective, are very eager in building or being a part of our kingdom, our little fiefdom, 
here on earth, not recognizing, you know what, heaven and earth are going to pass away. His word is the only thing that stands forever. And the kingdom to which we have and hold our membership is not of this earth. And so, you know, I think sometimes believers need to be reminded just exactly which kingdom it is that we are building here. Exactly. You know, in Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar, when he said, when he tells the story of him losing his mind and finally he comes to himself and he looks up to God and acknowledges God, but he says, God raises up kingdoms and knocks them down and nobody can say to him, nobody can stay his hand. Technology changes, politics changes, people look differently, dress differently, but the principles are eternal. And just the same problem that Nebuchadnezzar had when he conquered all these places or the rise and fall of monarchies and the rise and fall of our own country. Countries come and go, but you're right. The word of the Lord abides forever. And this is the word that's been preached to us. And this is the word that we have to preach to the world because everything is temporal. And when you let the devil turn your eyes toward this world, you are not of this world. You are of the kingdom of God. When you take your eyes off of God, you put you become ensnared and entangled in things of no eternal consequence. And too many churches are doing that now, I'm sorry to say. I, and I say that with unapologetically. They've, they've lost their way. They've lost the mission. And they're talking about everything but the Word of God. And it shows because they're starting to bleed out. And that's a good thing. Yeah, I, that separation of the wheat from the chaff, as you spoke about earlier, and, and the Bible predicts this time, too. With us today is Pastor Dr. Keith Crosby from Hillside Church of San Jose. We'll take a brief time out, come back to more of our conversation in just a moment. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back. We're visiting today with Pastor Dr. Keith Crosby, Senior Pastor of Hillside Church of San Jose. Pastor Crosby, let's pick up the conversation where we left off just a moment ago. Uh, it, it, it strikes me in terms of a sense of priorities, you know, the, the, the question was posed towards the end of Christ's ministry, you know, what is the greatest commandment? What is the Great Commission? We know that those two go hand in hand, to love the Lord our God with our heart, mind, body, soul, to love our neighbor as ourselves, and to go and make disciples, to go into Judea and then Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth and spread the good news of the evangel abroad. And I, and I love the fact that that has been very much at the, at the center heartbeat coursing through the veins of the ministry of Hillside Church in San Jose. You folks are not only engaged in terms of making disciples, training people to then make disciples through a sense of personal evangelism, but also global outreach. My goodness, I spent a little time on your website before our conversation today, and the, the tentacles of this ministry reach far and abroad across the globe. Just speak to that whole perspective for a moment in terms of some of the, uh, some of the initiatives that are priorities for uh, your ministry and the ministry and life of the body at Hillside Church San Jose. Well, we look at uh, we look at living in Silicon Valley. The world has come to San Jose. Mission fields out your back door. Yeah, <laughs> right. You can meet people from every place in the world, and you can talk to people here that you could not talk to in one of their closed countries. And so we are, we try to be all over that, and it, and it's it's even it's 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 joyful in that the for lack of a better term, the diversity or the color of our congregation has changed radically as we have 
done this. And then we're sending pastors to the Congo uh, in about two weeks, three weeks, to train pastors there. Uh, our, our missions, we, we're a missions church. We've sent out missionaries and our emphasis is church planting, leadership development, and church strengthening. And that's part of what we'll be doing in the Congo. But for us, the gospel is in the very lifeblood and fabric of this church, this great commission. And so you have people from every tongue, tribe, people, and nation here in San Jose. Bring them to church, you know, invite them. Sometimes they'll come for a cultural experience and hear the gospel. And then you have this outreach that we do. We try to be a three-dimensional church. You know, we disciple hearts and minds of our own people to equip them to evangelize other people. And we send people abroad. What we say is be one, bring one, build one. Be a real deal Christian who lives out their faith so that you can bring somebody to faith in Christ through your testimony and by sharing the gospel with them. And then we can build them up and strengthen them for ministry to repeat the process, to birth new Christians. And that's how we see ourselves as changing this community and perhaps the world one soul at a time with the message of Jesus Christ. We want to play offense for the kingdom of God. And, you know, it's so much easier to do than some people think or anticipate. I never forget many years ago traveling in China and meeting with a local underground church leader. And uh, they were talking a bit about the history of the church and that it just started in somebody's living room and then it grew and grew and grew. And now they're meeting in an old hothouse that used to grow mushrooms. In fact, they loosely referred to it as the mushroom church. And in talking with the pastor said, well, just amazing what God has done here in just a few short years. And, you know, as Americans typically do, we're concerned with the numbers and growth and what's the strategy. And so, you know, we posed that uh, question to the pastor and he said, well, you know, we're going to expect we've got uh, 2,000 members this year. Next year, we're going to have four. The year after that, we're going to have to have, we'll have eight. And we realized in short order, he was doubling the numbers every year. It's like, what, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute now. Hold on. What, what church growth seminar are you using? What, what we are you, th- this must be a combination of, of digital technology, broadside, television, radio ad campaigns, all of it. And Pastor just simply stopped after he heard all of the, the murmuring and the questions. He said, no, it's very simple. He said, we, we teach each of our new members in our discipleship training class that over the course of a year to lead one person to Christ. And then we equip that individual as they begin to develop their relationship with Christ and go through discipleship training to then reach one person for Christ. And as we have applied that, taking what Scripture says at face value, we just say, each one, reach one. We have seen since the start of our church that every 12 months, the church doubles in size. Wow. So, God is real. If you rely upon the Holy Spirit to empower you to be his witnesses into Judea and Samaria and the other most parts of the earth, that in fact, that kind of phenomenal growth, all Holy Spirit driven, can indeed happen. And it's it's, it's exciting to see uh, th- these principles not looked upon as simply a part of the history books of the, uh, the first century church or uh, the book of Acts, but rather a part of what God is doing today at Hillside Church. There are programs for everybody. You've got outreach ministry to uh, foreign languages. You certainly have uh, youth ministry, elder care, on and on the list goes. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah we do. We try to be yeah, a holistic church. I know that sounds trite, but you know, here we are. 
ministering to people. We, we are an intergenerational church. We are a multi-ethnic church, and we equip families. We equip the youth. We have, you know, we, we have, you know, we, we even reinstituted a nighttime service. It's 58 minutes long. We call it night school, where we take a topic, a theological issue. I speak on it for 30 minutes, and then it's like the Wild West of like Q&A. Mm-hmm. And this, it's a Socratic dialogue, and it encourages, we get, we get, we get, you know, on a Sunday night, we say we're going to get you, we start at five, we end at six, we go out to dinner together, or we hang out together afterwards. But we get it done in 60 minutes. We're not, it's not a seeker sensitive thing. It is deep theology. And we, we have a quarter of the church turn out for it, you know, and then we all have a great time afterwards. But we try to find every opportunity to meet the very real spiritual needs of our people, no matter who they are or what demographic they fall into. And I think that's why God has blessed this church over the years. You want to go to a church that when you get there looks like you. You want to go to a church that is engaged in equipping the saints for the work of the gospel and has a eternal vision that alongside helping you grow in your faith to also therefore help equip you to reach others. And that really is at the core of the heartbeat of Hillside Church. Um, they meet at 545 Hillsdale Avenue in San Jose. And uh, you can get complete information about service times and all the various uh, ministry opportunities and programs available by going to hillside.org. Simple address to remember. It's online at hillside.org. Or you can call them at area code 408-269-4782. That's 408-269-4782. And let me say to longtime listeners, um, Pastor Crosby's program is heard every Monday through Friday at 7 p.m. following Lifeline on KFAX Radio. If you want a little bit of a, um, a savoring, a glimpse, it's like going to the buffet and being offered a little taste of all the goodies. Uh, you get a chance to do that on the radio, but then we want to encourage you to uh, having experienced part of the pulpit ministry of Hillside on the Air, then go and experience it in person. Again, at 545 Hillsdale Avenue in San Jose, online at hillside.org. Pastor Keith Crosby, thank you so much for the time and sharing a bit of your heart, your uh, passion for ministry, what God is doing in your life, and it's been a, a great joy to spend this time with you. Greg, the pleasure is all mine. Thank you for having me once again. Just thrilled to be here. that's going to do it for this edition of Lifeline. Thanks so much for being with us. And if there was anything you heard on today's show that you'd like to hear again or share with a friend, grab a copy of the Lifeline podcast. Simply log on to KFAX.com. That's KFAX.com for the Lifeline podcast. Our producer is Wanda Sanchez. I'm Craig Roberts. Till next time around, remember, just don't keep the faith. Get out there and share it and make it a great evening. So long. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.